Hello and welcome to the first episode of In Context. I'm your host, Emma Johnson, and I'm really excited that you've decided to join me in this as we look at different topics, all different kinds of topics, with one common thread, and that being context. So I'm really glad that you're here. I have been thinking about doing this podcast for about a month now, but I didn't know where I wanted to get started didn't know how I wanted to get started until I saw this video, which is a short clip from a TED Talk. I saw it. It was a suggested video of mine on Facebook, and it's called The Power of Treating People with Respect. And here is what it sounded like. A 60-something-year-old man appeared before me, handcuffed, his head was lowered, and his body was showing the signs of drug withdrawal. I asked him how long he had been addicted, and he said, 30 years. And I asked him, do you have any kids? And he said, yeah, I have a 32-year-old son. And I said, oh, so you've never had the opportunity to be a father to your son because of your addiction. He began to cry. I said, you know what, I'm going to let you go home, and you'll come back in two weeks, and when you come back, we'll give you some assistance for your addiction. Surprisingly, two weeks passed and he was sitting in the courtroom. When he came up, he said, Judge, I came back to court because you showed me more love than I had for myself. And I thought, my God, he heard love from the bench? I could do this all day. (laughs) Because the reality is, is that when the court behaves differently than naturally, people respond differently. The court becomes a place you can go to for assistance. Like the 60-something-year-old schizophrenic homeless woman who was in distress and fighting with the voices in her head and barges into court and screams, Judge, I just came by to see how you were doing. On this day, she needed help, and she came to court. And after four hours of coaxing by the judge, the police officers, and the staff, she is convinced to get into the ambulance that will take her to the crisis unit so that she can get her medication. It's what happens when a person in authority treats you with dignity and respect. So I totally understand what this judge is trying to say, that judges should be about more than uh, people go see them when they've done something wrong and get a sentence, that they should be a more part of the community to where they're seen not only in a negative light, but also in a positive. But as a Christian, my thought was, sorry, judge, but I don't think that's your job. You talking about a place where people can go to get help should not be a courtroom. It should be a church. So my thought was, can we trace the history of American churches to find out why churches are like this today? Why are churches in America the way that they are today? So we're going to go way back, because uh, in order to understand the context, we have to understand all of the history. And in order to do that, we have to go all the way back uh, to the 1500s. Um, this was actually right after the Reformation, which was in 1519. Um, King Henry VIII of England, he was a member of the Tudor family. He uh, wanted a divorce from his wife because she was not producing a male heir for him. So at the time... The Catholic Church and the British Crown were basically married, in a way. And so, what you have is he needed permission from the Pope in order to get a divorce. If you know anything about the Catholic Church, 
they still, to this day, are not big on granting divorces. Once you get married, it is for life, okay? So, the Pope refuses to give King Henry VIII his divorce, so he says, you want to give me a divorce? I'm just going to create my own religion. And he does that. And he creates the Church of England because of this. So he separates the British crown from the Catholic Church. And uh, he creates the Church of England. And the main difference between the Church of England, which in America is known as the Anglican Church, the main difference between the Church of England and the Catholic Church is the Catholic Church has the Pope as the head of the church. Obviously he would say, you know, Jesus is the head of him, but the Pope is the leader of the Catholic Church. Within the Church of England, the King is the head of the church. So obviously King Henry gets his divorce, and from that moment on, every royal, whether king or queen, every monarch after King Henry VIII has to decide whether or not they're going to be Catholic or whether they're going to be Church of England. And once you have that, that means that the church, people living in England at the time, they have to decide if they're going to follow what the monarch wants them to do or if they are going to continue in whatever religion they were currently doing. Okay? So King Henry VIII is going to start persecuting Catholics. So if he remained Catholic after his separation from the Catholic Church, he starts persecuting Catholics. And then once the next monarch comes in, they are still they still believe the Church of England. So they are still persecuting the Catholic Church. And then after that, you have a person who says Catholics. So they're going to persecute, you guessed it, the, uh, the people who are in Church of England or Protestants. So it goes back and forth, back and forth, all throughout history, until um, King James I, which is the same King James who is going to authorize the King James Version of the Bible, but... In 1620, Puritans, who they exist because they want to purify the Catholic Church, uh, so they're a Protestant belief, they want to move to America in order to have religious freedom. And they move to America for religious freedom because, again, there's just been years and years and years of persecution if you don't believe the same thing that the king is believing. So they leave. They're supposed to go to what was known as Northern Virginia at the time. The land was actually supposed to be pretty close to New Netherlands, which is modern-day New York. But they ended up going too far north to modern-day Massachusetts, and they created the Massachusetts Bay Colony. So once they get to Massachusetts, you would think that they would give religious freedom to all of their people. But you would be wrong. They didn't. They wanted you to believe exactly what they believed. And the reason for that is they believed and persecution was really all that they knew. It's really hard to create something new when that's all you've known. And persecution was really all that they knew. You have people like Roger Williams, who is going to be um, cast out from 
the uh, Massachusetts Bay Colony because he believes that people should have religious freedom and that people shouldn't have to believe exactly what everybody else believes. In particular, he was trying to separate the religious leaders from the government leaders because at the time the Puritans set up a form of government that in order to be part of the government, you also had to be a member of the church. He thought that was very dangerous and setting up a very similar situation that they had fled from in England. So they are going to cast him out. He's going to start his own uh, colony called Providence, and that is going to become Rhode Island later. You also have the separation of Anne Hutchinson. She is going to be exiled as well. She's going to move to New Netherlands, which is modern-day New York. Uh, she is separated. She is exiled, uh, her and her family, because she believed that you can read the Bible on your own and not necessarily need a minister to tell you what to believe because of the Holy Spirit. So you have all of these things happening. Later on, you're going to have William Pitt uh, creating the colony of Pennsylvania, and he creates that colony in order for um, Quakers to have religious freedom. Uh, Maryland is going to be created later as well, named after Queen Mary, who was Catholic. And it's going to be a safe haven or a safe place for Catholics, uh, because by that point you had a Protestant king. And so the Catholics were being persecuted because, again, it just rotated with whatever the king or queen was believing at the time. So you have that basis of understanding of why people were coming. Most people were coming to America in order to find religious freedom, okay? There were people there that were there to make money. That is why the original first Jamestown was settled. Uh, same King James sent people over in order to make money, okay? But most of the other colonies are going to be settled in order to find religious freedom. And that is going to be the basis of the First Amendment. So this is in the Constitution of America, the first, so the First Amendment of the United States says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, okay? So this basis, remember people fleeing for religious freedom, is the basis of why they start the First Amendment of the United States with Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. A lot of people, though, get confused and think that that means that there's separation from religion, that America was supposed to be established as a religious free society, not a society of free religion. By that, I mean people think that there's freedom from religion and not freedom of religion. Yes, you can worship or choose not to worship whatever you want to in America, but the original founding document gives you that right. And it's very important for you to understand why they needed that and why they thought it was necessary to add it in. Okay, and that is because of the foundation that we just talked about. So in 1787, this document is written and is passed the Constitution. And uh, it's really important because the founders were trying to protect the church from the government. 
They weren't trying to protect the government from the church. So many times we get that mixed up. So again, I'm going to reiterate, the goal of the First Amendment freedom of religion was not to protect the government from the church, but it was to protect the church from the government. But in order to understand why we have stuff today, we need to fast forward a little bit in U.S. history. Okay, because we are trying to talk about why are American churches the way that they are today. And I think in order to understand that, we have to go to the Great Depression. Okay, so the Great Depression in the 1930s was obviously a really horrendous thing. The roar in it was made worse by the fact of how good things were in the 1920s following World War One. So after World War One happened, um, many soldiers came back. There was an economic boom that happened throughout the 1920s. And following that, with the Great Depression and with the stock market collapse, it went from, you know, 100 to zero real fast. And so it kind of made everything seem a lot worse than it was. And so I think in America, for the first time, we had a large amount of churches that were unable to help their communities in the same way that they had been before. One of the wonderful things about the church in America is that churches exist within communities and they're able to assist people within those communities, whether they're members of the church or not. And that is an amazing thing that churches need to continue in America and they have for hundreds of years, as long as they've existed. Churches in America, if you go there, if you go to a church to get assistance for anything, they're usually pretty quick to offer that assistance if they can. And one of the things that the Great Depression did in America is it hurt churches' abilities to be able to help the people within their own communities. And so you needed government intervention in these communities really for some of the first times, especially some of the first times since um, the Civil War happened, when there was just destruction, especially in the South. But you have people, you have churches that couldn't help people in the same way that they could before. So the government needed to intervene in these communities in a new way. And that's when you had FDR and the New Deal come in and offer all of these government programs. Now, one of the great things that could have happened in the 1940s, once everything, once the economy came back post-World War II, because one of the main reasons the economy was able to bounce back is because of World War II. Once World War II was over, and again, there was a big boom in the economy because factories were working again, and you had a new workforce coming in, both uh, now vets of World War II coming back, but also women were starting to work in the workforce for really the first time uh, in World War II. And then following World War II, they continued working. But you had people come in for the first time, and they needed to work, and everything came back. Lots of the economy bounced back in a big way following World War II. So churches in America could have said, hey, government, thanks for helping out our communities when we couldn't, but we have it from here. We can take it from here. We don't need you anymore. We've got this. They could have said that, 
but you know what? They didn't. They continued delegating the work of the church to the government. And I think that is a big issue that has happened throughout history in America, especially 19th century on. We have, or 20th century on, we have the churches not doing their job and they're giving the job that they should be doing to the government. And then just going even further into American history, the 1960s, so segregation obviously existed in the South and you know the Bible Belt in the South is in the South, right? So you would expect for the if the church, I think America would look really different today if the church in the South in the 1960s led the way in the civil rights movement instead of you know digging their heels in and relying on the government to tell them what to do. If the churches in America led the way in if the churches in America led the way in the civil rights movement and saying, hey, government, we know that there are local laws that say that we can't do these certain things with these certain people, um, but we're going to choose to do it anyway. It would have been a total cultural refer- like um, reformation time that would have happened in the South, and it would have been amazing, and I honestly think that a lot of things in America would be different today because there probably would have been another great awakening because so many people would have wanted to come to churches to find out what was going on. What made these people so much different than everybody else? Why are they acting this way? Um, If American churches in the 1960s fought for a church to look like heaven, then lots of things were gonna be different, but we'll get to what heaven's gonna look like a little bit later on. So here's how America has failed in our churches. But we've also succeeded in a lot of ways well, and I think we need to continue succeeding in a lot of ways in the future. But before I get there, I want to take a short pause really fast and just tell you a little bit about who I am and how you can get to know more about me. So first, if you want to get to know more about me, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at imaga 2011 I'm on there all the time because it's summer and I'm a teacher. So I'm a teacher at a small uh, international Christian school in Moscow, Russia. Um, My school pays a little bit of my living expenses, but most of my living expenses I have to gain support for. So if you would like to help me in that respect, You can do that by going to the link that's going to be in the show description below. It's rceinternational.org. I'll have the details about how you can give to me to help me continue my ministry and my life here in Moscow, Russia, because I like it a lot. I moved here in August, so I'm coming up on my one-year anniversary of moving here, and I absolutely love it. Um, Would love to be here for another five years or so or however long God is allowing me to be here. But um, I'm really glad that you have chosen to listen to this podcast, and I hope that you'll share it. I hope that you'll follow me and give me some good reviews and comments um, about how you think I can make this better. Not, like, just say it's perfect and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so 
that's what we were talking about. So how have American churches done well? How have we succeeded? And I think one of the things that we do really well is we allow people to have freedom of religion. When American Christians are fighting for religious freedom, we're not just fighting for our personal religious freedom, but we understand that other people need to have that same freedom. Yes, we think that everybody needs to know Jesus in order to get heaven. Um, but we understand that in order to have freedom of thought and freedom of expression, everybody needs to have those same freedom of thoughts and freedom of expressions. So I think the American church has done an amazing job at just helping everybody understand that we want everybody to be able to find and discover and fall in love with Jesus as much as we have, but find them on their own accord and on um, their own accord. So after saying all of that, I think I want to share with you a few things that I think churches can do better today to make history different for America. So what are some things that the church, what are some ways that the church can be better in 2020 than they've been in the 1940s or the 1960s or, you know, whenever? So how can the church be better today? So number one, I think we should stop delegating the work of the church to the government. It is our job as the church to take care of the poor. It is our job as the church to take care of the widow. It is our job as the church to take care of the orphan. But so many times we've said, hey government, you want to do that for us? You want to take care of them? Okay, so a lot of Christians, as Christians, we need to stop giving all of our all of our jobs to the government. We need to take ownership and we need to go out and we need to do the work. So go out there and uh, stop delegating work to the, to the government. Number two, support our communities. So many churches have an inward focus and not an outward focus, where so many churches are concerned about global missions and not the people who live next door but have never shown up at your church. We need to love our communities, and we need to constantly be out in our communities working alongside of people from all different denominations in order to love on people. As long as those other churches are preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and that is the only way you can earn salvation, then you can work with them in order to see your community grow, in order to see your community fall in love with Jesus. So go out there in your communities, support your communities, love your neighbors. And lastly, okay, because this isn't about race, and like I mentioned earlier, heaven is multi-ethnic. Heaven is full of different people from different backgrounds. Um, in Revelation 7-9, which I conveniently have tattooed on my arm, it says that John saw a multitude that no one could number gathered around the throne, worshiping Jesus, and they came from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue, and people. So one, that tells me that we're going to see race in some way in heaven because he could see that the people were of different nations and tribes, okay? They all look different. And it also tells me that maybe we can understand everybody, but there's going to be different languages in heaven because he says from every tribe, nation, language, 
and talk. So we're, I don't know if we can all hear everybody, uh, or not hear, but understand everybody, but it makes me think that there's going to be different languages in heaven, which is pretty cool, um, because I'm trying to learn Russian right now, and it's not going well, so maybe in heaven one day, I'll just know Russian, and that'll be amazing. So it's not about race. Heaven is going to be multi-ethnic, so your churches can be multi-ethnic. We should be able to set aside our cultural differences. We should be able to set aside our different tastes and styles of music and of preaching, and we should be able to work together. Even if we're not gathering together on a Sunday morning, I totally understand why there are different churches, whether it's worship style, whether it's how dressed up you're going to be, whether it's you don't like people who have tattoos. I have tattoos. I feel like not every church is cool with that. Whether it's um, I don't like wearing dresses or skirts. I'd rather wear pants. So not every church is going to be cool with that. And I totally understand that. I would not feel comfortable going to a church that would require me to wear a dress because I wouldn't wear a dress and I wouldn't want to offend them. Um, so I understand cultural differences. I understand worship style differences. I understand the differences in worshiping with people who look like you. But that doesn't mean that you can't work together on Saturday. And that's what I'm saying. We need to work together in our communities in order to make our communities better. Because our end goal, churches, your goal, your number one goal, the reason Jesus saves you and leaves you on earth, the reason he doesn't take you up into heaven the moment you get saved is because he wants you to share him with people. Okay? The one reason we exist on planet earth today, Christian, is so that you can share Jesus Christ and him crucified with the people around you. So do that today. Church, share Jesus Christ. Share Jesus Christ with people in your community. Share Jesus Christ. That is the one thing we exist to do, so go do it, okay? So that's a little bit of church history, why the church in America is like it is today, why I think it is like it's today. I'm so glad that you've joined me. I hope that you've learned something. I hope that I've encouraged you in some way. Um, and again, I encourage you to go out and share Jesus with people. Um, I'm Emma. So glad that you've joined me today. I will see you next week.